What is up and welcome everyone to the It's Called Soccer podcast. If you're already part of the best U.S. soccer community, welcome back. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Tom and I today are breaking down everything that happened this weekend, all of the action. And we're going to start with our center backs because there is a lot to talk about in terms of Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman and the MLS playoffs. Then we have to talk about John Brooks getting his first start for Benfica in a cup match. Tim Ream puts in a good performance for Fulham. The list goes on and on. Cameron Carter-Vickers is apparently the captain of Celtic now. Austin Trusty is in the best form of his life. Chris Richards is almost back to health. But we're going to be talking about the forwards. We're going to be talking about Josh Sargent's goal. Jordan P. Fox assists. There's almost too much to talk about. So you can get all of your information here today on this weekend wrap-up of all of our favorite U.S. M&T players. But first, we have to check in on Tom, recovering from COVID, future doctor of the universe. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm I'm okay. It's been a long few weeks back. I got a pretty bad symptomatic case of COVID a few weeks ago on the heels of some pretty brutal assignments here. Penn State has continued to be a very difficult uh, first semester, so I'm just trying to survive and get through it and sort of hope to sort of ride the way through the end of my first semester. Finally back to playing some pickup, got my first goal this week and actually got out under the stars for a little bit this weekend too. So can't complain about everything. Life is pretty good right now. How's it going, nice, Jake? A little, a little telescope time. Mm-hmm. Nice, uh, nice. I'll, I'll send out the image on Twitter when I finally get it posted, but uh, I'm actually pretty excited that I got to actually like, take a photo for the first time in a while. <laughs> All right. It'll be uh, right right above the James Webb telescope pictures will be <laughs> Tom's, Tom's night under the stars. Everybody be on the lookout for that. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm still moving in to my new home in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Obviously, there's nothing on the background right now. But I promise you next week or whatever the next video is, you will see some scarves, some artwork. And I'm getting my home studio ready. Um, but I'm I'm excited to talk about all of these players, all of the form that we're in. It seems like there's so many players that are kind of within this scope of getting to the world cup and having so many of these players starting to hit some health, hit some form for us is going to be really important. There's only a few that aren't really seeing the field or aren't really scoring or getting clean sheets. So we'll talk about that as well. But Tom, I feel like we have to start in major league soccer, domestic league, Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman were the two preferred starters for Greg in the September Yes, September window friendlies. And with Chris Richards still injured, this seems like it might be the two prospective starters for the U.S. men's national team going into the World Cup. Well, Aaron Long gets cooked by Brandon Vasquez, someone who's on the periphery of the U.S. men's national team, who gets the go-ahead and winning goal for Cincinnati to beat New York Red Bulls. And Walker Zimmerman and Nashville lose to LA Galaxy. So, both of these starters now for the U.S. men's national team will not be playing any competitive matches until the World Cup. Does this change anything for you, Tom? Or does does Aaron Long still walk into this team? I, there's a lot of talk about Aaron Long right now. Not a lot of it's positive, And frankly, he hasn't really earned a lot of positive discussion from his play in the last few weeks. So, Football is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. 
Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf, and even the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Please remember to gamble responsibly. I'm I'm a little bit frustrated that we keep giving minutes to Aaron Long. He's been the starter six matches in a row now for the U.S. And I feel like it's just time to sort of look at other options. I know we're kind of out of time for that right now, but there's so many center backs playing well. I know he fits the profile of what Greg Berhalter wants to do. But when you look at that highlight of Brandon Vasquez running by him, Berhalter's excuse for playing Aaron Long is we want to see we want to play a high line, and Aaron Long's physical profile gives us the ability to play a high line. Well, New York Rebels is playing a high line on that play, and Vasquez just torches him and it takes a three two v three into a one v zero. I I at this point there's just enough tape that I just don't see a reason that Long should still be the starter and probably shouldn't be on the plane anymore. Yeah, I mean, imagine that Brandon Vasquez is someone like Gareth Bale or Harry Kane or Mehdi Taremi, players that are, I mean, let's be honest, better than Brandon Vasquez (laughs) and more situationally where I feel like Aaron Long, that has to be the nail in the coffin for me if it wasn't already very obvious that he probably doesn't deserve to be in this core of defenders. Now, Walker Zimmerman's a really interesting story because to parallel that with Aaron Long, I feel like Walker Zimmerman has earned himself some credit with the U.S. fan base and with Greg, with the team. I feel comfortable with Walker Zimmerman being one of the center backs for the U.S. If you know Chris Richards is still not fully fit, if Cameron Carter-Vickers is not preferred by Greg. So for me, it's a little bit different of a story for Walker Zimmerman now not playing any competitive matches up until the World Cup because I still expect him to see the field for the U.S. or I still want him there. Whereas with Aaron Long, I mean, I've tweeted about this consistently since yesterday because the New York Red Bulls are such a a horrible information from a fan's perspective to follow. And I'm I'm so close to just fully committing to the Philly (laughs) Union at this point. I've been in the Philadelphia area for the last 10 years, so it might be the time to uh, convert to the Philadelphia Union. But Aaron Long, for me, watching all the Red Bull games this season has not even been the best center back. For the Red Bulls. I mean, he wasn't included in the center or comeback player of the year award for major league soccer. I I feel like Sean Nealis was a better center back consistently throughout the MLS season for the New York Red Bulls over Aaron Long. So my diatribe is over about Aaron Long, but Tom, I want to hear from you on like, does this, I I feel like it's a different story for Walker Zimmerman not playing competitive Mm -hmm. matches. Do you feel the same? I agree. I, I feel the same. I, you know, notably you said he wasn't on the comeback player of the year list. He wasn't on the defender of the year list either. He wasn't in the 42 names nominated for defender of the year. If we're playing, calling someone in who's not in the 42 best players in MLS on the defensive side of the ball, surely there are better options out there at this point. And clearly we can talk about other names who are better options at this point, even if they might not fit the profile that Burhalter is looking for. National teams Sometimes you need to call in players who don't fit the perfect profile and adjust to that system. You've done a lot of videos on how Berhalter just doesn't seem to want to abide by that philosophy. The thing that really gets me about that highlight more than anything is not that he gets cooked, which, you know, is bad. You have to know when to be able to take a tactical yellow. Matt Doyle pointed this out today. 
just yank the guy down, take the yellow card, live to fight another day. By the time he realizes that he's cooked, it's too late to do anything. I would like to see a defender be able to take that yellow card. Zimmerman took an early yellow card against Galaxy, but I would rather see defenders who know how to do that. I think Zimmerman is also more athletic than Long at this point. He doesn't have that nagging Achilles issue. Zimmerman, also, we've seen him play well for the national team off of an extended break. He was probably the best center back in the January window, even being out of season for two months. So there's a lot more precedent there that I think he can come into the World Cup and play well versus Aaron Long. Also, that highlight is just so bad, man. It just, uh It's exactly what we want a center back playing for the national team under Burhalter's system to do. And to fail in the one role as to why we're calling him up is just eating at me today. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of was found out with his passing over the last few months, some really bad lowlights going around Twitter about that. But you're right, yesterday's highlight was essentially Cincinnati getting behind our back line on, or our, I say our, <laughs> behind New York Red Bulls back line, and Brandon Vasquez finds the space in behind Aaron Long. So yes, teams are going to find space behind the U.S. Men's National Team back line especially on the wings and in those dangerous channels. We need our center backs tracking back and getting in front of those dangerous spaces. Now, one of the players that I think does that really well, but maybe isn't playing so much in transition is Tim Ream. And I wish I could credit uh, this with a Twitter user. I'm sorry that I don't remember your name right now, but they were talking about how Tim Ream's IQ and situational awareness makes up for some of those more physical attributes that we would give to Aaron Long. So maybe Tim Ream isn't as fast or as good at recovery, but he puts himself in better positions, which allows him to use those skills that he does have. So Tim Ream is captaining a mid-table team in the Premier League. Fulham gets another draw against Bournemouth over the weekend. John Brooks gets his first start for Benfica in a cup match. I know there was a highlight going around of him beating a player and switching the field, but I do want to pump the brakes a little bit that this was against a third division opponent in Portugal. (laughs) Obviously it's great to see Brooks do that. And we know that that's one of the benefits of having John Brooks on the field, but is are Tim Ream and John Brooks in the same pool for you? Or like, does Tim Ream still have a chance where John Brooks is just, he's, he's off this team at this point. Tim Ream is so reliable for Fulham at this point. He is seeing the field every single match. Notably, they brought in Issa Diop over the offseason, and it was sort of expected that he would find his way into the starting lineup for Fulham at this point, and he did. He scored in the match against Bournemouth, but notably, Tim Ream was not the one benched, as was expected at the beginning of the year. Last time they were in the Premier League, Ream basically got benched the second that they brought in their center-back help. He is starting every match and continues to put in good performances. That, for me, sort of puts him a level above Brooks, who is at this point, been out of the game for so long. He didn't really play much for Wolfsburg last year. He's not seeing the field much for Benfica. They're playing academy kids over him in the Champions League. Brooks just doesn't have enough match minutes to, for me to sort of feel comfortable seeing him play at this point. And that's unfortunate because Brooks was a rock for us for so many years. But between his personal conflicts with Greg and his you know, lack of match minutes over the last five months. I just don't see how he can be in the same conversation as Tim Ream, especially when last time we saw Tim Ream, Ream was essentially an assistant manager for Burhalter. Burhalter and Ream are actually closer in age than Ream is to anyone 
who currently is in the U.S. men's national team pool. And he sort of fills that role of an assistant coach when he comes into these camps, which is something John Brooks doesn't do. So I would love to see Reem get the call just because he is such an experienced defender. He's a captain for his team. He regularly plays in the most competitive league in the world. There's just so many upsides to calling in Tim Reem right now. Completely agree. And you you said the word dependable. That's how I feel about Tim Ream. And speaking again as a New York Red Bull fan, Tim Ream came through the Red Bull system as well. So it's not like he, I mean, this was maybe eight or nine years ago at this point. <laughs> but same time as Matt Miazga, and we're talking about Matt Miazga now in Cincinnati, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers apparently has a leadership trait and is the captain of Celtic now. Did you see that coming? Yeah, I did not see that coming at all. He just signed with them permanently like three months ago. But he's doing well. Celtic got the big win again yesterday. Uh, Austin Trusty is in the best form of his career. Is he just starting to inch towards this roster conversation or is it too little too late? We were talking about this on Discord yesterday. I think there are people who disagree with me, but Trusty caught fire really at the start of the championship season and has played very well. Unfortunately, that's just too late for me to integrate yourself into a national team conversation unless you're playing somewhere where we just can't ignore you. And I just don't think top defender in the championship is not is a level where I say that is a must call in based on form alone. So I love that for Trusty. He's, you know, basically a legend right now at Birmingham and he got a brace last weekend. So Clearly in great form, but I I think it's just too little too late for me. Maybe they'll retire his number like they did with Jude <laughs> Bellingham, and then we will have to call him up after that. And Chris Richards, uh, Vieira said he's a few weeks away from full health. He's just starting to do some individual drills and training. So at this point, is Chris Richards still a lock for you going into the World Cup? If he's he has available? to be. He has to be. No one else has his passing range. When we've seen him play, he was a rock for Hoffenheim. I, I personally have not ever been the biggest fan of his U.S. men's national team performances, but he's always been young coming into high-pressure situations. So he's never been very poor. So I would like to see him continue to get calls, continue to work out uh, with the U.S. men's national team because I think he is the highest ceiling defender we have. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to move us more to the forwards at this point. But before we move on from the center backs, uh, we saw Stu Holden. We saw a few other Twitter users, not to be named, get into it today uh, on some top four rankings. But Tom, I want to hear from you at this point. Who are the top four center backs for you? If healthy, my starters are Richards and Zimmerman right now. I think that they're the best pairing we have. I want to see Carter Vickers brought in. If Richards isn't healthy, I want Carter Vickers to go. And my fourth center back is Tim Ream right now. I, I think that those are the four you have to call in. Aaron Long can't be on the plane for me. Right now, that's got to be the top four center backs available. Do you agree? Is there anyone you would want to bring in besides those four? I feel like that's it. I, EPB has kind of fallen off with Twa. He didn't get a ton of minutes. He wasn't called into the original roster in the September window. Um, didn't see any minutes, I don't think, during those two games. So he's on the outside looking in. Austin Trusty, like you said, it, it, if Brandon Vasquez is too little too late, then Austin Trusty definitely is. So yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing completely with those top four. And I would maybe even put Austin trusty ahead of Aaron long at this point at number five, just because mm -hmm. like 
What about James Sands, Mark McKenzie? There's some other names we haven't talked about who are in the conversation. Yeah. Mark McKenzie is definitely in the conversation. I think if James Sands had continued his form from early on in the season, he would definitely mm -hmm. be there for me just because he's versatile playing at the center back or center defensive mid. And for us right now, the only backup that we can depend on for, for Tyler Adams is Kellen Acosta. So if James Sands had continued some of that form, but now he's fallen off, he's dropped out of the starting lineup. He's not necessarily making substitute minutes now. Um, he would have been in the conversation for me, but he's kind of fallen off at the, the wrong time to get into the world cup. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if we're talking about players that made our defenders look bad, let's talk about some strikers. Brandon Vasquez, I want to touch on first because obviously we'll get to Josh Sargent scoring um, some of our wingers, our attacking wingers. Tim Way had two assists this weekend. But Brandon Vasquez is a, one of the most, if not the most, informed American striker in the last 12 months. And Greg recently spoke to him and told him essentially it's too late to get on the plane for Qatar. And if you keep it up, you'll get on the team in the next cycle. How do you feel about that? Thinking about Brandon Vasquez versus maybe uh, Jesus Ferreira, who is kind of in the same boat in Major League Soccer, getting around the same goal contributions. Is that unfair to Brandon Vasquez? I... I... I think it is, and it sort of comes back to a system argument, which is, you know, something we are complained about for two, three years at this point as national team fans, that the system is just prevents you from being able to call in players like this who hit the right form at the right time because it's so stinking complex, um, which is frustrating because I would like to see Vasquez. He's a big, physical, fast striker. He's not quite as fast as Ferreira, but he does a lot of things very well, and that finish to beat long was ruthless he just straight up flat out made a 55 yard run yeah it was it was a, a very impressive goal he's you know been doing this match after match after match for cincinnati this is clearly not a fluke he is a great striker so i i think he really needs to have a look and i'm really frustrated we didn't call him in in june so we could give him that time to integrate once we didn't call him in in june it was kind of over we have five or six strikers that we needed to get a look at we'll talk about these informed guys in Europe that are playing well, but you can't tell me that a player who scored 20 goals in MLS this year doesn't deserve a look. Completely agree. Completely agree. And I mean, talk about those other strikers. Josh Sargent scores again. He now leads the championship in goal contributions. Malik Tillman had an incredible solo goal in Scotland. Tim way with two assists. Uh, one player that I want to call out as well. Haji Wright had two goals in a loss this weekend. So there's, again, there's almost too much form happening to even cover in one episode of this, but mm. Haji Wright was there in the June window. And yet he's still probably looking from the outside in is, is Haji Wright kind of doing enough to get back into the conversation. Do you think he's being considered by Greg or is it really like up to four strikers right now, maybe including Jordan Pifak who also got an assist by the way today, for the first place team in the Bundesliga. It's so hard to parse this who's stuff. Who's there? Yeah. I, who, who is there? It's really hard to know because Burhalter refuses to tell us these things. Like his answer when he, as to what he learned from this window was that he learned things. And, you know, it'd be nice to know like what things he learned. Did he learn that Ricardo Pepe just wasn't there yet? Did he learn that 
Um, we need to call in Jordan Pifok. Haji Wright got the only scathing comments from a player that Burhalter I think, has ever put out, where he said that he wasn't up to it. you got to think that that is a knock against him. We still haven't seen Jesus Ferreira play in MLS playoffs. I would expect him to torch Minnesota United tomorrow. Uh, I, it's just so hard to know. I think Ferreira, based on his contributions to the national team over the last year, is a lock. From there, it comes down to form. Pepe scored four goals in his first four games in uh, the Netherlands, but we've seen before that the Netherlands doesn't really translate for national team strikers. There's Jordan Pifak, who can't be ignored at this point as being a ruthless finisher in the Bundesliga, which is fantastic for us. I, I, I don't I just don't know what to make of all this. Where where do you, where are your striker rankings right now? And do they do where do you think Burhalters are? This is always the most difficult conversation because you want to do your own rankings, but you also don't want to be let down when Greg Burhalter completely yeah. flips it upside down. I feel like so. I think I'm going to sway a little bit from the, I guess, Twitter community, I'll, I'll call it. But Jesus Ferreira has done enough for me to build credibility with this team and, and have enough there for me to feel comfortable with him being on the team. I'm not saying he should be the starter in every single game at the World Cup, but Jesus Ferreira is a different kind of striker that I do want in the 26-man roster. So he's on the team for me. I think Josh Sargent is on the team for me. I think Jordan Pifak is also on the team for me. And barring any talk about system or anything, I feel like Jordan Pifak is my number one starter mm -hmm. and Josh Sargent is number two. Jesus Ferreira, number three. Ricardo Pepe, number four. I mean, I feel like I'm even missing players now. Haji Wright, maybe. But yeah. again, it kind of gets back to the system conversation where you you kind of exclude you give yourself less options because you have an exclusionary system because you have a system that takes a long time to learn because you have a system that you depend on for the other 10 players on the field to be successful. So if that's the case, then you know, Jesus Ferrer is going to be there. You know that probably Josh Sargent will be there if he keeps up his scoring form. And from there, it's like, I guess Ricardo Pepe is on Greg's yeah. roster, but I can't. Here's the thing with that. If if that's the case, if Greg decides to leave off Jordan Pifak and maybe we bring Sam Vines over Joe Scally and we bring Mark McKenzie over Tim Ream or Aaron Long over Tim Ream, then we're sat here talking about the U.S. men's national team going to the World Cup without a captain center back of a premier league team uh the striker an informed striker for the first place team in the bundesliga for union berlin and the american player that has the most top five league minutes in the last year in joe Scali. and is currently benching an austrian national team right back yeah so we could <laughs> like that is in the realm of possibility that that is the conversation yeah when the 26 man roster drops. So it's crazy to me. I think that I'm kind of bracing myself for that to happen, honestly, Tom. And it sucks to say, because yeah. I want to, I, no matter what happens, <clears throat> obviously I'll, I'm just excited that we're in the world yeah. cup. Um, I'm, 
I can't wait till that first game to like today watching Leeds was one of the first times I've really felt attached to like such a frustrating team. <laughs> like mm-hmm. some of the misses that were happening, some of the ridiculous plays that were happening, I was yelling at the TV, jumping up and down and I've just missed that with the national team mm-hmm. and being away in, in London. I've kind of missed that with my MLS teams as well. So I'm mm-hmm. excited to care about this team in, in a really competitive environment, something that only happens every four years, but there is a world where those three players are not on the roster. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to quickly pull back the XG discussion around PFOC and union Berlin because I feel like it has to be part of the conversation that they are the number one team in Europe for outperforming their XG. And PFOC is the number three overall striker in Europe for outperforming his XG right now uh, with the other Berlin striker. I forget his name off the top of my head being the number one overall. So they are clearly right now the luckiest team in Europe, Um, (laughs) which is something that I don't think can continue, but it's something that like, that we should probably factor into the discussion that I'm not sure when PFOX form will drop, when Berlin's form will drop, but I do expect it to come sometime in the next three months. And Tom, for people that are either believers or non-believers in XG, <laughs> uh, one of the things that almost always happens is a return to the norm for XG. Mm-hmm. So can you just talk about like the the population of data that we currently have and why that's why that will likely return to the norm for Jordan PFOX? Yeah, especially uh, when we talk about XG, and we should probably release the full video we've been planning for a while on this at some point soon, but um, essentially we're saying that given the number, given this specific chance, we expect it to go in a certain percent of the time. Obviously, a 0.5 XG chance, if you score it, it goes in 100% of the time for that specific instance, but if you get the same chance 10 times, you should only score five of them. You shouldn't score 10 of them. Um, If PFOC is currently supposed to convert 50% of his chances and he's converting 80% of those chances, then given enough instances of that happening, he's going to convert 30% of them for a while. And it's going to all average out to about 50% of that same chance being scored. Um, Berlin is very ruthless on counterattacking, which really helps their numbers right now. But that is something that's really hard to sustain for a full season. Almost no player in the world can outperform their XG for five seasons in a row or for a full season. Even the only player I think right now who's active, who can outperform for five seasons in a row is son. Messi did it for a while, but even players like Cristiano Ronaldo, Robert Lewandowski don't consistently outperform their XG. If they are for a while, it regresses to a norm after a certain number of games. So there is a dip in form coming for Berlin that I, Worry hits right around the time the World Cup starts. But even if that does happen, yeah. you still have to say he scored these goals. He should be on the plane given the competition for the position is not scoring goals in the Bundesliga. You have to factor in the fact that a Bundesliga striker is still scoring against Bundesliga defenders, which is a very important thing to talk about. That's true. And really, in terms of dates, there's probably only four or five match days before the roster is released. Uh, Mm -hmm. U.S. Soccer Federation put out a notice that they'll be having a roster release party on November 9th at 5 p.m. Eastern time. It's Sunday, October 16th right now. So it's less, what's that, three weeks away? Uh, Yeah, three, four weeks. If you play in Europe, if you have weekend games, if you have cup matches, you probably are max five or six games away 
from being called into the World Cup. So it is getting close and there, there's not much time to drop form. Let's say that yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Malik Tillman. He did get hurt today too. He did. He yeah. You're right. Do we have any update on that? I, I haven't followed since this morning. So it looked like the same knee that had bothered him a few weeks ago. Um, at the same time, he walked off. He mm. was under his own volition the whole time. It it looked, so from the walk-off, it looked precautionary, but no mm. official word yet from okay. the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Weah gets back on the field with two assists. How important is Tim Weah to this team? We, I, I feel like we saw it in the September window that there are certain players that really uh, impact our ability to play our system. And when they're not available, the drop-off to the next player, even if they're a great player in their own right, isn't necessarily playing the same role as the player that is the primary. So someone like Yunus Musa is critical to us playing our system. And while Luca De La Torre is probably in the same realm of technical ability, there's a huge drop-off in the system when we play with Luca De La Torre as the starter. And we saw what happened with not having Tim Weah available, someone that has, I'm going to use the word, verticality to really stretch the field and get in behind the defense and swing in those crosses from the byline. There's nobody really with that speed that Tim Weah has. And Mm -hmm. those were the exact two assists that he provided for Lille was getting in behind the defense, getting to the byline and whipping in those crosses. So how good was it to see Timothy Weah back on the field for Lille? Oh man, it was fantastic to see. That's exactly the news we needed. Obviously, he's hitting balls to strikers for the U.S. who are not Jonathan David, but um, still, that's the exact type of assist we saw him beat Mexico with. That's the exact type of play that I've sort of associated with Tim Weah doing for the national team. Also, just the way Tim Weah plays, he's a pretty big, strong, fast guy, which are not necessarily traits I associate with his backup, who I assume is Brendan Aronson at this point. Um, when you watch Brendan Aronson in the September window, he just gets knocked off the ball so easily. He just gets fouled so easily, and you just can't do that to Tim Weah. So he provides just sort of this extra grit, this extra determination, this extra strength factor that I think is hard to replicate with the rest of our winger pool right now. So, and it's so good to see him get back playing, assisting. I just, he's so valuable for this team. He was our most dangerous player during qualifying I know that a lot of people want Reina to start, but I don't see how you bench Tim Weah, given what he means to the national team. So before we started recording this, Tom, you mentioned Gio Reina as what you would call a luxury player for the U.S. What do you mean by that? I mean that he is clearly the most technically talented player in the pool. You watched him in the Champions League this week, slalom past a bunch of players on an excellent dribble. He can do things that I don't think anyone else in the pool can replicate, but he's so often hurt. He hasn't been in a lot of camps the last few years. If you can get some minutes out of him, great. That's awesome to see. It will help our chances of winning matches in Qatar. If we can't, well, I don't think that Burhalter is relying on him for those minutes. I don't think that the game plan necessarily revolves around Gio Reyna. He is one of those players who, if he gives us minutes, it will help us out, but I don't think it will necessarily be a hindrance to us in guitar if we're not seeing him on the field, if we have to rely on other players because we've had to do it for so long. Yeah. And speaking of slaloming runs, Malik Tillman had essentially a one V six solo goal from the halfway line 
uh, dribbling from the halfway line. I should say he eventually got into the box and scored there, but it was an incredible solo goal for Rangers that put them up one nil in the second half. So we, we do have to call that out. I hope you guys go watch that. I want to ask you about that real quick. Yeah. How do you rate that given the opposition? Because clearly Tillman can do this stuff against Scottish premier league level players. Is that enough for you to get on the plane or do you need to see it in Europe? Oh, well, (laughs) it's a good question because I was actually going to take that question in the direction of Bayern still really valuing him Mm -hmm. and not, not allowing Rangers to put a uh, buy option or having a buyback option for Bayern. So I feel like from the perspective of like his future potential and what he showed with that run, that to me was like, uh, Gnabry yeah. version, like someone who's young, raw, and talented, has so much potential, and Bayern mm-hmm. see that and want to cultivate it and want it for later. But maybe mm-hmm. it's not good enough for the Bundesliga or for the Champions League today. Yeah. For Malik Tillman against that competition for the US men's national team, I feel like you got to give that to him. Like, mm-hmm. no, if it were that easy, then players for Rangers or Celtic or for anyone else in the Scottish league would be doing that each and every day. And the game was nil, nil. There was pressure on Rangers at that point to get a goal. Malik Tillman puts the team on his back, dribbles through a bunch of defenders. Obviously the defending is what we would probably call MLS level (laughs) defending. But at the same time, like I'm I am giving him full credit for that. And for the U S men's national team, I don't know where he stands in terms of position. Mm-hmm. If we were talking about number 10s, if we were talking about wingers specifically, I might have a different, I just don't know where he fits. And yeah, as much as we talk about systems, it's hard to see where Malik Tillman fits in a system. He he kind of seems to me like a substitute that we throw on when we need a goal. Yeah. That, that's fair. Yeah, I really have never known what to do with him, especially on these community roster polls I've been putting out. He sort of falls into the fourth eight category almost by default because we just don't have a lot of really good eights right now. Um, but in the winger category, I, I sort of have him below four other players and right in line with me for Paul Ariola as a fifth option. So yeah, I yeah, there, it's it's really com- confusing with to know what to do with him. He's looked good in spurts, but he's also had spurts where he's looked like a twenty-year-old who was out of yeah. depth. So very true. Yeah. So Tom, with with so many players that are important to the U.S. getting back into form and fitness, uh, we have to shout out Yunus Musa starting and playing seventy-five minutes in a two-two draw versus Elche. Uh, Anthony Robinson partnering with Tim Ream for Fulham was back on the pitch and swinging in some mean crosses. Gio Reyna was back on the pitch for a 15, 20 minute cameo for Dortmund today in their loss against Union Berlin. Pulisic is really the only one that's still on the bench and not finding consistent minutes. Is are all of these players coming into form and fitness at the right time, changing your expectations of how we do at the world cup? I don't necessarily think so. Um, This group is a difficult group to play in. um, And it will be a very tricky World Cup for us. I, you know, there's not really a designated bad team in this group because of the way the draw worked for us. All four teams could get out of the group. All four teams could get left 
uh, could get sent home early. And frankly, I just see the margins is so close that I don't know if form is going to change a whole lot given the competition. Um, I think it's just sort of going to come down to performance on the day and it'll take a lot of luck to get out. Um, yeah. I, I would like to see us get out. I think that's the expectation for American soccer at this point is you get out of the group at the World Cup. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that we do and it will be a dogfight in every single match to do it. So I like to see these players coming into form. I think it's important for us to really be able to perform well in those dogfights. But, you know, one... The World Cup is not something that you can sort of predict with any certainty because it's so dang fluky. You only have three goals that's a, or three games. That's a very statistically noisy sample. Um, a lot, one bad bounce, one fluke can change a lot. And especially with given how closely matched all three, all four of these teams are, Iran, Wales, and the U.S. are separated by like ten Elo points. Um, I just find it hard to sort of say that my expectations are high even given our form being high i'm glad you brought it back to the noise in the data set because i was actually going to point us back to the xg example where three games is not enough data points to give yeah. you anything reasonably close to something to work with yeah. so the world cup is a place where anything can happen you only have three mm -hmm. games to make something happen if you play out of your mind against england or against like if we get three points against Wales, that's great. Mm -hmm. Our chances of getting out of the group probably rise to 70 or 80%. But if mm -hmm. we don't get three points, I mean, it's it's not going to look great for the U.S. And I know people, like I'm, I'm going to talk about Pete from 11 Yanks right now. He put out a tweet that said, the U.S. is in the weakest group that we've ever had. The U.S. is in the weakest group at the World Cup. And this is our most talented squad that we've ever had. So we should absolutely be getting out of the group. I just want to say that None of these teams are an easy three points. I, the data says, the subjective opinions say that this is a very difficult group. And from the point of like having a different group with maybe three strong teams in one weak one, there's no weak teams in this group. There's no easy three points. So I really want to temper our expectations that, yes, we should expect to get out to the knockout rounds. We should expect this team to get to that point now, but at the same time, it could easily swing the other way. Easily. We yeah. have a young, volatile team. We have a coach that on his day can be great and on the next day be horrible. And that provides a lot of opportunity for bad things and for good things to happen, to be fair. Yeah. I, I want to put it back to the talent, the most talented team the U.S. has ever had, which I think is a fair argument but i don't think it necessarily means what we tend to talk about it meaning like yes we have a lot of players who are playing for a lot of very well-respected clubs in europe but i think sometimes we let the name on the jersey uh distract us from the team as a whole we have a lot of young talented players who have a lot of potential to be great but that doesn't necessarily mean we have a experienced cohesive team who are going to play well together and be able to perform every single time. This is still a group of young role players for a lot of big clubs. Who's the guy when you need a goal in the 78th minute versus Wales? Who's the guy when you need to see out a nil-nil draw against England for 10 minutes? A lot of these players are not the guy for their clubs and they're all very young and this is their first time in that situation. I think relying too heavily on the target to the talent argument 
sort of downplays the importance of experience and of cohesiveness as a team that I don't think that this group really has had time to build. Spot on, Tom. Spot on. <laughs> I honestly like. I I'll even agree that this is the most talented team, player for player, that we've ever had. Mm-hmm. But there's no way you can tell me that the team is the best team we've ever had. Mm-hmm. We don't have the best cohesive unit team that we've ever had that maybe belongs to 2002 or 2009 or 2014 mm-hmm. even. We mm-hmm. are not close to that in terms of a unit, in terms of having a balance between veterans that know how to stabilize the team and a balance of young players that know how to motivate and push forward the veterans. We don't have that. We, we have young yeah. players that have that have good talent that play in the Champions League that are important for their team, but we don't have a balanced team. We don't have a team that's cohesive yet. We have a coach that has built a good, by, by all intents and purposes, has built a good team environment, but hasn't found a way to translate that onto the field for consistent performances. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Tom. they also don't really have the dogfight gene yep. in them i don't think that, 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 that dog dog. yeah who <laughs> if you think about the 2010 the 2014 world cup teams they played against some really difficult opponents granted england wasn't great back then that but they still found a way to win dog fights in games they should not have won they just sort of said all right we're gonna go out there and we're going to scrap and claw for 90 minutes every single time have you seen that from a single greg berhalter team no and Jermaine Jones was actually asked this recently about who who kind of embodied that that Jermaine Jones, that fighter on the field. Mm-hmm. And he kind of said, there's not really anyone like me. And maybe the closest is Weston McKinney. And mm-hmm. while I agree, sometimes that can happen. If you watch Weston McKinney in the September friendlies, he looked like to me he did he could care he could not care less <laughs> about being on the field. Like I, mm-hmm. I know he obviously cared, but mm-hmm. he looked disinterested to me mm-hmm. in those friendlies. And you could never say that about Jermaine Jones, whether it was mm-hmm. a friendly against Antarctica, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> Greenland, like he would be playing with 100% speed and intensity. And you can't mm-hmm. say that about anyone on this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Tom, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great about all this form, about all this health. Um, anything else you want to talk about for the U.S. Men's National Team before we get to last words? I feel like we haven't touched on the goalkeepers. Do we want to touch on Matt Turner, Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath? Let's let's do a quick roundup update. Yeah. Uh, Matt Turner had a shutout in the midweek Europa League for Arsenal uh, against, I think it was Molde. Or, I was a uh, Boda Glint, Bodo I think. Glint. It was, yes. Yeah. I was thinking about Joshua Gatt's old team throwback to the to the true fans um ethan horvath had a few saves in luton's 3-1 win and zach stefan also had some great saves but middlesbrough loses and middlesbrough looks to be in a really difficult position in the championship uh sean johnson will feature for nycfc in the playoffs for major league soccer tomorrow night i think that's seven o'clock eastern time so you can watch him there (sighs) who else Kagas Lamina is now with Chelsea, uh, but he's yeah. probably not in the conversation. So I anything... think it really comes down to four names. It, it yeah. comes down to is Stefan doing enough to make 
right now, Burhalter seems to see Stefan as the starter. I don't really understand it, but that sort of seems to be the foregone conclusion. Is he on your plane right now, even? No. Are, are you bringing him to Qatar? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but he will be because he's part of the leadership council, because he's playing games. And he, you're right, he might even be the starter over Matt Turner. If the, okay, another side conversation that I'm just going to spew. Um, some Something that really bothers me about Greg's roster selections is that I, I wouldn't feel so poorly about his system or about his tactics if he chose the like unanimous best players in each position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like he invites that on himself when he puts Zach Steffen as number one over Matt Turner, when he puts Aaron Long as Walker Zimmerman's partner instead of someone else, when he calls in Ricardo Pepe over Jordan Peefock or doesn't call in Jordan Peefock, even though he's not restricted to 26 names. So yes, I, w- I would have a lot more, um, I don't know, patience with the system and with our results and much less blame on Greg Berhalter if he would call in and play the unanimous best players in each of those positions. But because he tries to be so cute about it, Tom, what do they say about cute? Cute gets to beat. <laughs> cute gets to beat. So when when Greg Berhalter tries to be so cute with his player selections, when he has favorites, when he chooses players that are not unanimous to everyone else watching, there are hundreds of thousands of fans that seem to know more than Greg Berhalter, and yet we still see the same players over and over. That doesn't work. I feel like that, to me, invites way more pressure on him and his selections than if he would just choose the best players and get them into the system. Yeah, I agree. It's very frustrating because to me, when I watch the goalkeepers play, I know Zach Steffen has that argument of being a better possession goalkeeper, but when you watch them play, is Matt Turner really that much worse in distribution? He looked pretty good for Arsenal this week, midweek. He was great. Yeah. And you can't tell me that Zach Steffen is going to stop more shots on a shot-for-shot basis than Matt Turner. Yeah. I mean, should we also mention Josh Cohen, the 30-year-old <laughs> American keeper for Maccabee Haifa in the Champions League? They get their win over, was it Juventus? I think it was week? Juventus, yeah. So He pitched a shutout a over Juventus. Keeper, yeah, probably too late to bring him into the system, even though he's a Champions League-level keeper, apparently. He wasn't an MLS level keeper and all of a sudden he's a Champions League level keeper, which is just wild to me. He was slumming it in the USL and all of a sudden he is pitching shutouts against Juventus. That is that's a true a rags to riches story. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh so I'll just mention his name, but he's he's definitely not in the realistic yeah. conversation. But yeah, those those are our keepers. Is Matt Turner still your number one? I'm Matt Turner's my number one. Yeah. I think that I would rather have Ethan Horvath as my backup, just given that he is the greatest backup keeper in the history of American soccer. Um, and then for leadership, I'd rather have Sean Johnson. Yeah. I, I, Zach Steffen shouldn't be on the plane for me. Zach Steffen will be there. It will probably be Steffen, Turner, and Johnson. Prob- if I had to guess, maybe yeah. we see Horvath, but I would not put my put that to a betting pool right now. Whenever Horvath has to get on the field because of an injury and uh, takes over that 
that space, all of his attributes go to 99. So <laughs> I'd definitely like to have Ethan Horvath there. All right, Tom, I feel like we've covered just about a million players and performances for this week. What is your last word? Oh, it's coming up. It's coming soon. I can't wait for it to get here. I have the full first week of the World Cup off from work, and I'm just so excited to just take it all in, enjoy some American soccer at the World Cup. Um, shout out to anyone who's getting ready to sort of participate in the playoffs this year via fan interactions or anything. We've got USL Championship playoffs coming. We've got MLS Cup playoffs starting. NISA playoffs are starting soon for any lower league sickos out there like myself. So, you know, it's a fun time to be supporting American soccer, whether you're doing it domestically or you're waiting for the World Cup. And it's going to be a fun month and a half. We've got less than 50 days until the World Cup starts. Let's go. I, too, have... The first two weeks off of work, just about all my PTO is being burned on the group stage, but I'm very excited. So guys, make sure to subscribe to the channel with alerts on because I'm sure I know I will be, but I'm sure Tom will be jumping on to do a ton of content around the World Cup, not just for the U.S. Men's National Team, but to cover all of the best moments. So make sure to subscribe to the channel down below. I also want to call out, we talked a lot about coaches today. We talked a lot about Greg Berhalter. Tom, do you know where we're going to be January 11th to January 15th? Where? Well, my friend, let me tell you, we're excited that we're going to be part of Podcast Row at the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia from January 11th to the 15th. The convention is the ultimate event for soccer coaches, administrators, and fans of the beautiful game. So, guys, whether you're attending alone or bringing the whole coaching staff, there is no better place for, co- yeah, for soccer coaches to learn, network, and experience the latest trends in soccer education. I'm personally excited to be there being a UEFA licensed coach. I also have my USSFD license. So I'm excited to just bring all of those experiences back. And you can come meet us. We'll be on Podcast Row for those four days, January 11th to the 15th. You can visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to register and come join us as we celebrate our passion for the beautiful game. That was my last word. It was also an ad read, but truly (laughs) I will also be there. So I'd be excited to see any of you guys that want to sign up and uh, join us in Philadelphia for the soccer convention. All right, that's the episode. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the week. I think we have some more Champions League coming up. MLS playoffs are going to be starting going into the second rounds next week. Philadelphia Union have their home game against Cincy on Thursday. I'll be there. And otherwise, we'll see you next time on It's Called Soccer. Peace. See you guys.